We are the people of Cincinnati. And there's a few things we'd like to tell you. First, we're not Chicago, and we're not New York. We're not even Cleveland. No, we're not the biggest, and we're not the hippest. We're middle America with skyscrapers. I mean, we still shut down the city for a parade on the opening day of baseball season. Who else does that? Yeah, we're solid. Classic. You might even say vintage. That's who we are. We are the 1.6 million people, give or take a few, of Cincinnati. And yet, on Sundays, it's all different. That's when hundreds of thousands of us sleep in, mow the grass, or play ball with the kids. When researchers surveyed us, they found the most popular religion in Cincinnati was no religion. As a matter of fact, 56% of us don't regularly go to any church anywhere. That's who we are, the unbelievers, the seekers and the searchers, the people of Cincinnati. And if the believers here are going to reach us, they need you. There are 52 neighborhoods in our city, but only a handful of Southern Baptist churches. Believers are planting new congregations among us, but they need more boots on the ground. Partners who can pray, send people, and provide resources. They need churches like yours, not to shoulder their burden, but to share their opportunity. Because even though we're not the biggest and we're not the hippest, we are people just like you. And we are worth pursuing. We are the people of Cincinnati. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you in this place today. Uh, my name is Jonathan Howard, and I am a representative of yours in the city of Cincinnati, in the Queen City. And so we wanted to just start off by saying thank you for being a partner church with us. And uh, we're excited to be able to share a little bit about that, but also have a word uh, for us today. So I'm kind of a one-two step. I wanted to give you a little update on what's going on with us, but also at the same time get into the Word and uh, learn a little bit here in Ephesians chapter 2. And so uh, it is true, exactly what Jared was saying, that we are a church planning family that is currently in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio. We moved up in the first part of this year. We arrived on January 1, and we are currently serving in what is called a residency year. We are taking year one, and we are plugged in with the church called Grace Point Fellowship. You actually, on this video, there were a couple of times where you would see that name, and uh, they were doing some construction in uh, a big building, and that's them. They planted six years ago, Grace Point Fellowship. It's in Franklin, Ohio, about 40 miles north of downtown Cincinnati. And so for this year, we are plugged in with them. We are serving in that place on staff as a pastor, and it gives us a chance to do a couple of things. One, a residency year gave us a chance to look for our planting location while being in Cincinnati. And so we knew God had called us to Cincinnati, but we didn't know which one of those 52 neighborhoods that God was leading us to. And so the residency year gave us a chance to be there on the ground as we kind of figured out where God would have us be. And so in May of this year, after driving through about 27 of those, uh, we settled in on Anderson Township, which is on the east side of the city, about 10 miles from downtown, still inside 275 in the perimeter. And so we're going to plant in Anderson Township. And the, the numbers that he kind of talked about of the city as a whole definitely play there in Anderson. There's 48,000 people that reside within this township. There are a total of 25 churches of any denomination, of any faith 
So even if all 25 were Bible-believing churches, there would still be 2,000 people per church that they could go after and be a part of. But that's not the case. Of that 25 churches, there are some that are other faiths and other religions and things that we would say, nope, they, they don't believe the same thing we do. And so there's actually just one Southern Baptist church in Anderson Township. And so we're excited to be in that place. And so what we're doing right now is we're getting towards the tail end of our time at Grace Point. And so we're beginning to let go of some of our responsibilities at Grace Point. We'll serve there through the end of December. And at that point, we will jump out on our own and we'll be full-time down in Anderson and we'll be working that way. And so some of the things that are happening right now that we're really excited about is one that we've recently kind of settled in on a name. The name of the church is going to be Bridge City Church. And there were a couple of reasons why. One, we live in a city where there were a lot of bridges. And they show they were right there on the Ohio River. And so that's something, a symbol that people will see and something they see on a daily basis. But ultimately, Jesus was a bridge. If 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there was one mediator between God and man, and it was Christ Jesus. And so he bridged the gap for us so that we could have a relationship with God himself. And so Jesus was a bridge. The church is called to be a bridge. That's what we're supposed to be about. We're bridging the gap between our community and between God, serving as a, a walkway that they can get access in and find God. And so we felt like that was a very appropriate name for us. And so we're going to be Bridge City Church. And in kind of our mandate, what we're going to be about is to bridge the gap between where people are and who God designed them to be. And so we're, here we are in a city with 2.2 million people and our little nook, our little spot that we're going to go after is Anderson Township. And we're going to try to win Anderson so that we can then win Cincinnati. And so we've, we've named it. And another big, uh, another big victory for us is uh, we've had our first family that's joined our core group. And so that was a big deal. We've kind of gone there on our own and we're not sure exactly what's going to happen. And or is God ever going to stir anybody's heart to be with us? And he has and so just two weeks ago this past Sunday, we had a family say, hey, we're in. We want to be a part of what's going on. And so we are celebrating with that. We're excited about uh, that and that, what has transpired. And so as, a, as well as having people that are beginning to join the work with us and be a part of that, we're also trying to engage our community. So right now we live about 30 minutes from Anderson. We're about 30 minutes north in a town called Westchester. And so we just drive in and spend as much time as we can. So we're in the process of looking for a house. So if you're a praying person, we'd love for you to put that on your list. We need God to provide us a place to live. Uh, I did not choose the most inexpensive place in Cincinnati. And so we're watching to see how God's going to provide for us a place to live there in Anderson. But we're excited. We've begun the process. We've started getting emails from our realtor over the weekend. And so my wife has had her, her face buried in her phone ever since we left the house. Because she's like, what about this one? What about this one? And of course, they're all going to be gone before we get back on Monday night. And so we can just, we can start over. But so we're working through that and we're engaging the community and spending time meeting uh, different pastors in the area and introducing myself and trying to get a feel for what's going on in that place spiritually and finding ways to serve our community. And so the very first thing that we've started doing to serve Anderson is we've been painting fire hydrants. Uh, they put out a, a call for help on Facebook a couple of months ago and said, hey, help us paint the 3,000 fire hydrants here in Anderson. And so I jumped all over it. And so we've started painting fire hydrants. And it has been amazing to watch God use something as simple as that to engage with people in that community. And so I'll go out and I'll start painting fire hydrants. And I'm just sitting there kind of hovered over my fire hydrant. And a complete stranger will walk up to me and say, hey, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Tell me about this. And so in this conversation, I'll get a chance to explain who I am. And that I'm a local pastor. And we're going to be planting a church down here, launching 
in 2022. And, you know, I'm trying to find a way to serve our community and add value to the community. And so by the end of it, I'm able to exchange information. They want to know more, keep us in the loop of what's going on. Uh, yeah, we don't really go to church. We'd be interested, you know, these kind of things. And so here in a, in a place where we don't know anybody, I'm going out, I'm painting fire hydrants, and God is bringing people, complete strangers up to me to ask the questions that allow me to give them the exact information that I would like to give them from the word go. And so we're excited to continue doing that. I think that's an indication of God's favor. It's an indication of his activity that he is stirring uh, in that place, and he is bringing people to us for a chance to love on them and let them know what's going on. And so uh, we're excited, but we're really excited to be with you guys today. And like I said, we just want to say thank you for holding the rope. You know, when you have a rope and you're holding on, it only works if there's somebody on the other end of the rope. And so we're in Cincinnati holding it, uh, trying to help people know the love of Jesus. And because of folks like you and churches like you who are willing to hold the rope on your end, we're able to be there. And so we're grateful for you and for your generosity, grateful for the leadership of Pastor Jared. He is a dear brother. And, uh, you know, it is funny. We didn't know 13 years ago when we were riding in the car together at the seminary that this was going to happen, but God knew. And so he's just letting us in on what God already knew. And so we're excited to watch what happens, not only through the partnership, but we're excited for what's going to happen in this place. And we're expecting and believing God to do a work in this place like he's never done before. And that's going to be unbelievable because you've been here for a while. And so we're excited to watch that he does some things that have never happened in this place in a new way so that you can reach your community with the gospel. And so, with all that said, let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Pastor read it for us here a minute ago. I feel like we almost should just bring him up and have him read it again, but we won't. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean that to be a barb, but it was a barb. I'm sorry. Um, you know, cell phones are amazing things. You can do a lot of things with cell phones. And my favorite thing that you can do on a cell phone, uh, in addition to being able to call and text, would be the camera. I enjoy the camera. I enjoy the fact that I don't have to lug around a camera. I can just have one in my pocket on my phone. And if I need it, I can capture a moment and capture a picture along the way. And so uh, I, that's probably my favorite aspect of that. And I've got a theory about your camera roll on your phone. That if you were to open that thing up and let us look at it, we would learn a lot about you very quickly. First of all, we learn some things about you based on how many pictures you have on your camera. Some of you, you've got like 10,000 pictures on your phone and we'd know that you like to snap pictures and then we'd learn some things. So for example, if we're looking through your camera roll on your phone and there's a lot of pictures of you and you're the one holding the camera, like I'm learning, that lets me know a little something about you. Um, but also, as I look through, I, I get to learn about who are the people that mean the most to you, because they're the ones that show up in your camera roll, right? The places that you frequent, the people that you're around. And then as we, we've thumb through there, eventually I get to see some of those momentous occasions, some of the things where maybe you're dressed up a little more and you've gone to a wedding, or you're at a graduation, or maybe there's a baby being born, and there's a whole bunch of pictures of that that moment in those days. And so as I'm able to look through the camera roll on your phone, I'm able to learn so much about you. It's identity information. I'm able to learn about what matters to you, what you think is important, the things that you give your time to. If you take a lot of pictures on a boat, we know what you've given your money to. And so there's all these different things that I can glean information from if I'm able to look at the pictures that are in your photo album. And so today in this place, Ephesians chapter two, it's identity information. Paul is writing to the Gentile believers there in Ephesus, and he's saying, hey, here is a vital part of your identity. And there are three pictures 
in this passage that are true for them, but it's also true for us. And so today's passage or today's message uh, is called Pictures of Us. And so let's read again, starting uh, in the first three verses, and then we'll talk a little bit, and then we'll read some more along the way. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2, starting with the first three verses. And he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All right, so the first picture that we see in this passage is not a very good picture. It's a picture of us, and it shows that we are in need. We have an issue, and we are in need. It's not a positive picture. You know, man's problem is not just a slight adjustment that needs to happen. It's not like we're just slightly out of harmony with nature and with man and in our relationships. The picture is way more dire. It's a much bigger deal. We are completely out of whack. We are not where we're supposed to be in relationship to God. And so it's a picture of consequence. It says that we're on a path that leads to destruction. It's a dire circumstance, this first picture that's in our camera roll of our life. And so we see that we're in that way for three reasons. Paul would say, one, it's because of corruption. He said, you have trespassed against Almighty God. The definition of trespass is to commit an offense against a person or a set of rules. Now, we all, that probably makes sense to most of us. We've all seen trespass signs along the way that people post, keep out, don't go, don't go across. And so the moment I pass that boundary line, I am now trespassing. I have gone outside the bounds. I have gone outside of where I'm supposed to be. And so the root word of this idea of is missing the mark, sin. It causes me to trespass. I trespass against God's uh, instruction for my life around his boundaries. I step out and I do what I want to do rather than what he would ask me to do. And so it's living as I ought not to live. And it says, because of that, I'm spiritually dead. He's talking about being separated from God. It's not just the physical death, but it's actually, we're walking dead. If I don't have Jesus in my life, if I don't have a relationship with him, and I am separated from him because of my sin, then I am spiritually asleep. I'm not able to live in all that he's designed for me. I'm not able to live and grow spiritually the way that he would design for me because I am spiritually dead. And so I'm a person who is in need because of corruption, but also because of captivity to Satan. Verse 2 says that, following the course of this world. And he talks about how Satan is in charge. He has authority in this domain. He doesn't have ultimate authority. Anything that he does has to go through the throne room and he has to get permission. But it says that the enemy roams around on this earth, in this domain, working against us, working against God Almighty. And it's a compelling work. It's a supernatural work. He's getting after it. He takes no days off. He is seeking to slow down the work and the advancing of God's kingdom. And so we are born into the middle of a battlefield. Whether we acknowledge it, whether we know it, it is true. And so there is a war that is waging for your heart and for my heart. And so God is seeking to bring about deliverance and reconciliation. And the enemy, Satan, is trying to do anything but that. And so we live in a world where evil exists. And you wouldn't have to look at the news for very long to be able to identify A1 examples of evil that is in the world. And so the devil, he's the prince of this domain. He's permitted to work in this world. It's a dynamic work. Um, over in Matthew 9, 34, he's referred to as the ruler of demons. 
In John 12, 31, he's the prince of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he says, God of this age. He's referred to as the God of this age. That verse says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And there is the mission mandate of the enemy. He is a ruler in this domain. He has authority in this domain, and he is seeking to blind you from the gospel. He would, do, he would wish for you to never come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you do give your life to him, he would wish that you would never grow in that. That it would just be that and that's it. And you'd go back to life. He is seeking to blind you and to keep you from growing in all that God has for you. And so we're a people who are in need, not just because of corruption, not because we've messed up, not just because Satan is at work in this world, but also because of condemnation. In verse 3, Paul highlights the fact that we've all are guilty. In verse 1, he's singular. He says, you have trespassed against God. In verse 3, he says, we've all done it. We're all guilty of this. In Romans 3, 23, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we have inherited a sin debt. The moment that we sin one time, we have this sin debt. There's a price that needs to be paid for even just one sin against an almighty and a holy God, and it's a high price. Later on in the book of Romans, it would say the wages, the price of sin is death. It requires my life, just one sin. And unfortunately for us, we were born with a sin nature. And so no one had to teach you how to sin. When you're a little bitty guy or girl, you knew how to be selfish. You knew how to throw a temper tantrum. You knew how to lie. You knew how to look at your mom dead in the face and say, mm, wasn't me. Wasn't me. Happened to us in the van the other day, my four-year-old. She did something, we watched her do it, and we said, hey, did you do that? Wasn't me. She lied right in my face. I didn't have to teach her that. She knew how. We know how to sin, and because we know how to sin, we do sin. And the moment we sin, we accrue and we earn a debt that has to be paid, and it is our life. It's a high price. So this first picture says that we are a people who are in need. And it's not a great picture. We're starting with the bad news today. It's a tough, tough picture. But he doesn't start, stop there. Let's keep reading. Verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were spiritually asleep in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated, he has seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So picture number two, it's a picture of who God is. And he's a savior who intervenes. Picture one is about us. We're a people who are in need and we need somebody to intervene on our behalf and God, because of who he is, is that intervening force. He's the savior who steps into our story and in our, into our reality. The definition of intervention is an action to improve a situation. And I can't think of a better definition for what Jesus did. He stepped into our situation and improved it. He made there a possibility for there to be something different. The intervention, it begins out of his great love for us. He talks about that in verse 4. Up to our eyeballs in sin, unable to do anything on our own, Jesus stepped in and did what we cannot do. He pays the price that we could not pay for ourselves. He operates out of an agape love. 
Now, this love is special, not only because it's unconditional and he, he keeps on with it, but it's a benevolent love that takes delight in the person, in the object to whom it's showing the love. So what it's saying is God, not only does he love you, but he delights in loving you. It fires him up. If he were to sleep, he would wake up in the morning excited about the opportunity to express love to you. And not only is it a, a, a love that is, uh, takes willful delight, but it's also expressed through action. So he doesn't just stand over here and say, just so you know, I love you. He shows you each and every day that he loves you. He takes action. When we needed a savior, Jesus left the throne, came to earth, put on skin and lived a perfect life all the way to death on a cross to take action to let you know that he loves you. And that's a really good word for us. That's a really good reminder. So this intervention, it starts because he loves you. That's where it starts for him. His heart, it aches for us. He wants to rescue us. He wants to reconnect us with him. But he loves you enough not just to take action to let you know he loves you, but he also loves you enough to let you choose. See, he could have come and said, okay, I've paid the price, now you're mine. I own you. And so now you belong to me. And he didn't. Because he loves you that much. Because in his heart of hearts, what he really wants from you is for you to love him back. And if he were to force you to follow him, that wouldn't be love. You'd be a robot or a slave. And he would be a dictator. And that's not who he is. And so he loves you enough to take action so that you can have choice to decide if you're going to love him back. And so it's born out of his great love for us, the intervention. But the intervention is also expressed through his mercy. God breaks into our desperate situation and he provided a way off the destructive path before we even knew that we needed that. Before I ever knew I needed a savior, he did what needed to be happened so that he could be the savior. And so he shows up and he shows us mercy by not making us pay our debt. He paid the price. It's a high price and he paid it. And so that's mercy. And you know, and every single day that we wake up and we have breath in our lungs, we're experiencing his mercy. Because the truth is that you and I, because we have sinned, we deserve to be in hell right now. And so the fact that we're not and we get to be here in beautiful Olive Branch means that he is giving us mercy and we are experiencing his mercy right now. And we experience the richness of his mercy all the time, whether we acknowledge it or not. And there's sometimes we get to acknowledge it. Sometimes we have those close calls in life and we're like, wow, that could have been way worse. Like you're sitting at the stoplight in front of Dodges and there's like 37,000 cars in there trying to get food and there's just people going around and like the light changes and then you start to go and then right before you go, somebody blazes through and runs a red light and you're like, wow, that was really close. Like that was almost bad. So sometimes in life we see that, like you do that with little kids and like they fall and they almost hit their head, but they don't and this kind of thing. And you're able to identify, wow, that was close. There's mercy there. God's at work. He's protecting us. But Think of how many times we experience God's mercy and we have no idea. We're completely unaware to the mercy that he's extending to us because he's rich in his mercy. And so he's operating with us and towards us in his mercy all the time. But God's mercy, it's rich because it's not given from a sense of duty or obligation. Now, I used to, in a previous job, I worked in college basketball, worked with a university called Mercer University in Macon, Georgia. We were a small D1 school there. And so I got a chance to work for a great guy named Bob Hoffman. He was a great boss. He was a believer. And uh, he was a great guy to work for. And he's a very generous boss. And so every year at Christmas time, he would give us uh, gifts. He gives like a, a card and it usually had a gift card in it to the men's warehouse. 
Now, this was great for me because my love language is clothes. I don't know if you can tell, I'm wearing red pants today. <laughs> and so I thoroughly enjoyed this gift. Now, we would, this was pre-COVID, and so coaches didn't stand around and wear like gym clothes on the bench. They wore suits. And so we were required and expected to wear a nice suit on the bench. And so we do 30 to 35 games a year. And if you only had two suits, like that got old in a hurry. Like you're wearing the same one every other time. And so it was a great gift because he's like, hey, take this and go buy another suit. Add to your repertoire so you can have a little variety there. And so every year, that's kind of what he did. Well, this one particular year, probably year four or five, he gave us the cards. I took it home. I opened it up the next morning and it was a gift card to Men's Warehouse. But it was substantially more than what it had been in previous years. Like probably two and a half times what he had done. And so... I could get multiple suits this time. I mean, it was a really great gift. And so the next morning when I saw him in the office, I said, Coach, like, thank you so much for the, card, the gift card, but you didn't have to do that. And he let not one second pass by, and he jumped all over me and said, I didn't give it to you because I had to. I gave it to you because I wanted to. And I, so in that moment, all 6'5", 220 of him, like, it's got me a little startled. He's bristled up. But the reality is other people had told him all that, that already. So now it was like he was ready. And what he's saying is, look, I'm a grown man. I made the decision to do it because I wanted to. Nobody made me do it. My wife didn't tell me I had to do it. I did it because I wanted to. And that's why God's mercy is so rich for us. It's because he's not giving it out of obligation. He extends it to us because he wants to. Because he's God. He can do anything he wants to do. And he's chosen to express mercy to you and give you an intervention away across this chasm that is created because of our sin because he is a merciful God. Amen. Now, it is true that he can love you and still let you experience the consequences of your sin. In fact, parents know that's a part of parenting, that I've got a boundary, I've got a rule, and if you break it, you've got to learn through consequences. It'd be great if you always learned it by me just telling you, but sometimes you don't, and you've got to learn it through consequences. And so God is the same way. He allows us to go through consequences, not because he's not merciful, but because he is merciful. It's not an indication. Consequences are not an indication that he doesn't love me. In fact, I think it's an indication that he does. Because if he just let me run rampant and do whatever I want, that would not be for my benefit. He's got the long game in mind. He knows where we're headed. He knows what we're going to do. He knew 13 years ago that we were going to be in this place. And so he's shaping and guiding and moving and reproving and correcting us so that we can be exactly who we need to be, when we need to be there, doing exactly what it is he's designed for us to do. And so sometimes we get that consequence, but that intervention, it's, it's, it starts out of his love for us. It's expressed in his mercy for us, but it's given, it's extended to us out of grace. It's because of God's grace that we can be saved. God knew that our chief need in life because of sin is new life. He knew we needed a new way. We messed up the original way. And so he created a new way for us to be able to interact and have life with him. Now, the definition of grace is receiving that which I don't deserve and cannot do for myself, which seems a lot like mercy. And so a lot of times we use those two words interchangeably, but they're very different and they have different implications. And so, for example... Mercy, it's receiving less of what you deserve along the way. Grace is receiving something that you don't deserve and you can't do for yourself. So let's pretend uh, on my drive home tomorrow, I get a speeding ticket on my way back to Cincinnati. And so I go before the judge and he says, hey, did you speed? And I said, yes, sir, I did. And he goes, all right, here's the fine. It's $200. 
So if I go on a pay the fine, that would be justice. If I go and he says, hey, did you do this? And I say, yes, sir, I did. And I'm, he said, okay, you're guilty. You're a fine of $200, but I'm gonna reduce it to 100. That would be mercy. I've received less than what I deserved. If I go before the judge and I say, yes, sir, I was guilty. And he says, okay, you're guilty. It's a fine of $200, but I'm gonna pay that for you. And I'm gonna take it off your record and I'm gonna put the guilty on my record. You're free to go. That would be grace. That's something I cannot do for myself and something that I do not deserve. And so mercy reduces or, or it makes it less. It reduces it. Grace removes it. And so because of God's grace, he has removed any and every obstacle that would be between you and God himself. He has bridged the gap between where you are and where he's designed for you to be, who he's designed you to be because of grace. He has removed that obstacle. He loves you that much that he would come to you. He doesn't come 10% and make you come 90. He goes all the way. He came exactly to where we are. He stepped into our situation and took an action so that we could have an intervention that we needed so that we could have life with him. And that life changes everything. If I'm able to, if I choose him, if I receive him, it changes everything about me. I'm able to defeat sin. I'm able to respond the right way. I'm able to walk in a joy that passes all understanding. So the first picture is a terrible picture. It's a dire picture. It's a picture of consequence. It says that I am a sinner in need of help. But the second picture is of a, a loving God who says, I'll be the help. I'll do what's necessary for you to be able to overcome the mess that you've gotten yourself into. But there's one more picture. And let's read together verses 8 through 10 and talk about that a little bit. Verse 8. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the third picture, it's a picture of us if we choose to follow Jesus. It's a picture of us and if we choose to follow him, then we are a new creation. The exact thing that we needed, we get to become if we choose Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. And so in verse 8, he says, look, salvation is nothing that you can do. It's not about works. So just a friendly reminder to you today in this place, there is not one single thing you can do to save yourself. Not one. It's not about how long you've been going to church. It's not about if you've been baptized at some point in your life. It's not about if you're generous. It's not about if you serve your community. It's not about if you pray. It's not about if you do things in the name of Jesus. There is only one way to be saved. And it's through receiving the gift of salvation. It's through believing that Jesus died on a cross and defeated death in the grave. And that he is in fact back in heaven in the, on the right hand of the Father sitting on the throne. That's it. That's it. There's one way. And it's not about what I do. And man, we want it to be about what we do. Because we can control what we do. We can see what we can do. I like painting fire hydrants because I can see it. It takes 45 minutes and then I can see it. And it makes me feel good. And we want that with salvation. It's got to be about something I do because I can keep score of that. I don't have to trust. If I'm going to receive this, it happens in faith. And so then I got to trust that God's going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And that's outside of my control. And so that's not about what I can do. It's about what I trust and who I believe. And that's harder to do. But it's not about 
what I do. And Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 4 that scares me to death. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I did this thing, I did this thing, I did this thing. I didn't know you. I did it in your name, I did it in your name, I did it in your name, and it was great, and everybody applauded, and they thought it was awesome. I didn't know you. It's not about what you do. It's about who you know. And so let's make sure that if we know him, we know him. So salvation's not about what I can do, so I can't boast about it. It's about Jesus and what he can do, so we boast about him. In the book of Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Salvation is about Jesus. It's about what he's done for me. It's about what he does in me and through me when I choose him. And it's about people being able to see him work in and through me so that I can point them to him. It's always about Jesus. So it's not a work that I can do. Salvation is also received by faith. That's how I appropriate it. That's how I receive the gift of salvation. He extends it in his grace. I receive it in faith. You know, I can give you a gift and if you never receive it, it doesn't do anything for you. Until you receive it and unwrap it, it's not even really yours. And at that point, what you do with it matters. And so pretend with me, since I'm wearing red pants today, that salvation or a nice pair of maybe red slacks, right? And so you've been gifted a pair of really nice red pants and you open them and you receive them. They're now yours. You now have salvation. And if all I ever do is set them in the closet, what impact do they make in my life? They don't. Yes, I'm not going to hell when I die, which is great, but there's so much more to life in Christ than just not going to hell. There's a whole lot of heaven he wants you to live in right now while you're on earth. And the way I do this is by putting on those pants of salvation and living in them and walking in them and doing the mission that God's given to me. And now these are really nice red looking, looking red slacks, but guess what? Salvation pants would probably look more like work pants. They look more something you get dirty and you get down on the ground, maybe paint some fire hydrants in. Because we're supposed to work out our salvation. We're supposed to go to work. We don't earn our salvation through good works, but the moment we receive Jesus, we now live out salvation through good works. And that's how people know you're saved. In the same way that we don't know that God loves us because he says, I love you, it's because he showed you. In the same way, we don't, people don't know we love Jesus because we say we love Jesus. They know because we show them. We work, we live, we serve, we love people through action the same way that God loved us through action. And that's important. So I receive it because now I'm a new creation. Salvation shapes me into something new. And as the workmanship of God, I'm created to do those new works. Good works reveal my purpose. Good works let me know that once I receive Jesus, I'm supposed to be about something. 
It's not just the get out of hell free card. It's a go to work and advance the kingdom of heaven card. And it's, that's where we experience him is in the day to day of following him. And so God's instruction, it's perfect. It's on time. If we're going to be a people who follow him, if we're a people who have received him, then as we step into his instruction, we will fulfill the good works that he has planned for us. So three pictures. First picture, it's a picture of us, who we are. We're a people in need. Second picture, it's about who God is, a God who steps in and intervened on our behalf, who made a way when there was no way. And the truth of the matter is that every single person sitting in this room today and every single person who's listening online today has these two pictures in the camera roll of their life. You have both of these. You've fallen short of the glory of God and there's a God in heaven who died on your behalf so that you could be rightly connected with him. That is true for every single one of us. That's true for every kid that's down the hall doing kids church right now. That's true for every single person that has ever lived. But there's that third picture. And that picture is for the folks who have at some point in their life can point back to that day in the camera roll of their life and say, this was the moment I gave my life to Jesus. This was the moment I confessed that I'm a sinner and that I can't save myself. This was the moment when I said I can't earn my way to heaven. This is the moment when I give it all to Jesus and I say, save me because I can't do it. I need you and I believe that you will. And the reality is that not everybody has that picture. Yes, we all have the first two, but only people can point back to that moment in time in their life when they've accepted him, when they've accepted the gift, they've unwrapped it and they've put it on and they're living in it are the ones that would have that third picture. But to me, I think the greatest thing about today is the reality that is that everyone can have the third picture. Because the reality is there's probably at least one person in this room that doesn't have that third picture yet. They have picture one, they're in need. They have picture two, there's a God who died for them. But they don't have that moment yet where they've given their life to Jesus. And my guess would be, and I feel like the Holy Spirit saying, there's some folks in this room that think they have the third picture. But as they examine the, the camera roll of their life, they can't find that one day where they actually gave their life to Jesus. They've been coming a long time. They've been doing a lot of good things. They're a good person getting gooder all the time, but they can't find that one moment in time where they said, Lord, save me because I can't do it. And so here we have a God who says, it's my heart's desire that every single one of you would have all three pictures. And the even better news is that it can happen today. There's no reason why we can't all walk out of here with all three pictures. And so as we finish up, as we conclude, as we go into a time of invitation, you're gonna have a chance to do that. If that's you today, and there's never been a moment where you've accepted Jesus and have that third picture in your camera roll, it can happen today. During invitation time, there's gonna be some folks up front and they would love to talk with you and help you receive him as your Lord and Savior. So three pictures, pictures of us, who we are. It's God's desire. He paid the ultimate price that you could have all three. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the work that you have done on our behalf. We're grateful that you have come to us. We're grateful that you extend mercy to us. Even when we don't acknowledge it, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, you're at work. And so we want to say thank you for that. 
Thank you for offering salvation to us. Thank you for loving us enough to let us choose. You didn't slap cuffs on us and say, you have to follow me, I'm now the leader. You let us choose, and that's because that's how we express love back to you, is by choosing. So Father, in this place, I pray that you would have the opportunity to move. I trust that you've already been at work. The Holy Spirit has been prompting and convicting and drawing and stirring in the hearts of people. And so Father, in this time, in the next few minutes, we'll just give it to you. We want to give you the freedom to do not only what you want to do, but only to do things that only you can do. So if your eyes still closed and your head still bowed, we are going to have a time of invitation. It is always appropriate to respond to truth. And the truth of the matter is that whatever you do is a response. So whether you choose not to respond or you, you don't want to or whatever, you are responding. And so we want to give a moment here for you to be able to respond. Maybe there's, maybe there's a time you are a follower of Jesus. You've got all three pictures, but you're not living in the works that he has for you. You're still in charge. You're still calling the shots and you're not experiencing him on a daily basis and you're not sure why. And maybe it's because you're still in charge. Maybe you need to rededicate and give your life back. Place your life up on the altar and allow him to call the shots. Let him be the leader. He's good at it. It's his heart's desire to lead you into all that he has for you. But maybe you're in this place and you're realizing that, you know what, maybe I don't have that third picture. Well, you can today. So as we sing, we'd love for you to come up front and talk to somebody. But you can also do it from where you're at. You just got to confess that you can't do it, that you need him to save you. That's the only hope that you have. And then believe that he would. So I would encourage you to move. There's something about physical movement, physical posture that's an indication of what's going on in my life. And so as we sing this next song, don't wait, get up and go. Pastor Jared's up front, I'm up front. We'd love to, to, to pray with you, to share more with you. Father God, may you have the freedom to move in this place. Thank you for including us in your story. Thank you for making it possible that we could have all three pictures. In your name I pray, amen.